0: Who? Spider-Man! You were expecting maybe the man from Uncle? to episode 21 of me and my friend pete another donuts and dimes production the podcast where we explore all things the amazing spider-man comic book series i'm your host peter parker's Persnickety pal, gerald first and foremost happy new year we made it to another one kicking and screaming we made it to another one and pete well new year so he's making some new moves whether he wants to or not harry's got a proposition When Stacy's got his mind and the dance floor. Flash has got a one-way ticket to Nam. And new spider villain, the Shocker, the man's got a chip on his shoulder and the mindset of any good Spidey villain, namely, hustling backwards. And we, well, we've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the Amazing Spider-Man number forty-six. The Sinister Shocker. Hold on to your britches, bitch! Let's swing! Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. The credits. We've got Stan the Man Lee writing. We've got the Jazzy John Romita, that's the senior on art, and lettering by Sam Goes Rosen. This is the March 1967 issue. The cover. The cover of this one is simple and clean beneath our title The Amazing Spider-Man in white and red. We see our hero head facing the floor, both feet behind him, off the ground, his hands out beneath him. He's swinging through the air with the greatest of ease. But no! Because vibration lines are surrounding him, letting us know he's struggling to grip his web line. And he's swinging on this webline in the foreground, as our newest villain, both his fists raised, fires blast of lime green energy towards our hero. This guy, he's wearing a padded golden rod suit with diamond patterns that run down his thighs, arms, chest, face, and he's got on a brown leotard that starts at the top of his thighs, runs up the sides of his torso and back, wraps around his shoulders and up his head where it meets in a point at the bridge of his nose, and Plunges into a deep wide V where it meets a metal studded belt on his waist, and a giant silver V for a buckle, and he's got white racing stripes running down his arms and sides of his legs, and brown gloves and brown boots, and two large metal gauntlets, one on each fist that extend from his forearm to the tips of his proximal phalanxes on his hands. Proximal phalanxes? Yeah, like the biggest bones in your fingers, proximal phalanxes. And where his knuckles are, he's got vents slitted into the gauntlets. Now, if you can picture all of that, you can picture my deep, deep shame when I tell you once upon a time I thought this was the best costume in the villain game. Either way, he's letting those gauntlets go. Spidey's dodging and the energy shooting from the weapons is completely destroying the Doric column Spidey's swinging away from. In the background, there is a writing desk just in front of a bank teller's window. So if I ain't know any better, I'd say this guy was pulling a heist. In the screen caption box on the lower right of the page, who says this isn't the Marvel age of vile new villains? You and Spidey are about to be jolted by the sinister shocker. Let's get into it. Page one opens to. amazing spider-man in the usual goldenrod banner beneath this in a large screen caption box and lovely large pink and purple lettering we've got the title of this issue the sinister shocker and beneath this we find spidey suited and booted he's still got his left arm all bandaged up in a sling still recovering from his bout with the lethal lizard he's upside down clinging for dear life his right hand pressed against a gray brick wall that's shaking violently according to all the action lines bouncing around the building in our hero's body. There are bricks falling, I imagine glass falling from windows bursting. The works. We've got lights on in the windows of buildings in the background, letting us know evening has either set in or is fast approaching, and caption boxes telling us what's what. It starts out like any other normal day, for a neighborhood Spider-Man that is. While gingerly doing some friendly wall crawling, waiting for his injured arm to heal, Spidey suddenly feels the entire building shake as he is hurled from his precarious perch. Web yourself firmly to your seat, Spideophile, and be sure your mask on tight. This one's gonna knock you out of your tree. Spidey, of course, realizes the sheer wall's vibrating, but wonders aloud, as he often does, both how and why. We turn the page. And page two opens to our hero gripping the uppermost rod of a lamppost as he flips end over end. He says he's heard of people shaking with fright, but a whole wall? Never. Crossed on top of the lamppost near the light in the next panel, he stares over his shoulder at the building that is now smoking, says he's going to set up his camera, and that his spidery curiosity is piqued. He's going to go have a look inside. Doing both in the gutter between panels, he swings through a smashed window to find the newest villain in his rogues gallery, the Shocker. The Shocker in his signature padded costume of goldenrod yellow and brown, silver gauntlets wrapping his wrists and knuckles, the man standing in front of an open safe and a briefcase filled with stacks of cash lays at his feet. This man is caught squarely in the act, prompting Spider to shout, "Wow, well, wow! Well, looks like I'm just in time. Don't you know that safecrackers are bad guys? And bad guys always lose. Shocker screams, Spider-Man, in classic first appearance response. Well, I'm not Hubert Humphrey. And, quoted from Wikipedia, Hubert Horatio Humphrey Jr., May 27th, 1911 to January 13th, 1978, was an American politician and statesman who served as the 38th Vice President of the United States from 1965 to 1969. He twice served in the United States Senate, representing Minnesota from 1949 to 1964 and 1971 to 1978. As a senator, he was a major leader of modern liberalism in the United States. As President Lyndon B. Johnson's vice president, he supported the controversial Vietnam War. An intensely divided Democratic party nominated him in the 1968 presidential election, which he lost to Republican nominee Richard Nixon. Ooh, you suck! Some of Humphrey's career highlights include Mayor of Minneapolis from 1945 to 1948, where he fought all forms of bigotry despite having a very small African-American constituency, making Minneapolis one of only a few cities in the United States to prohibit racial discrimination in the workforce. As a senator representing Minnesota, he successfully advocated for the inclusion of a proposal to end racial segregation in the 1948 Democratic National Convention's party platform. As Senate Majority Whip, being the lead author of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and introduced the first initiative to create the Peace Corps and chaired the Select Committee on Disarmament. He ran two failed presidential bids in 1969 and again in 1972 and served as the Deputy President Pro Tempore of the United States Senate, the second highest ranking official of the United States Senate after the Vice President. However, Humphrey fully supported the Vietnam War as Vice President, one of the most unjust in recent memory and one Flash Thompson, if you recall, was just drafted into an ugly blemish on his record to be sure. Humphrey gained a few accolades for his political career. In 1965, Humphrey was made an honorary life member of Alpha Phi Alpha, a historically African-American fraternity. In 1978, Humphrey received the US Senator John Hines Award for greatest public service by an elected or appointed official, an award given out annually by Jefferson Awards. He was awarded posthumously the Congressional Gold Medal on June 13, 1979, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1980. There's a statue of him in front of the Minneapolis City Hall. Finally, his leading biographer, Arnold A. Offner, wrote, quote, Humphrey was a major force for nearly every important liberal policy initiative, putting civil rights on his parties and the nation's agenda in 1948 for decades to come. As senator, he proposed legislation to affect national health insurance for aid to poor nations, immigration and income tax reform, a Job Corps, the Peace Corps, the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency, and the path-breaking 1963 Limited Test Ban Treaty. He provided masterful stewardship of the historic 1964 Civil Rights Act through the Senate. You learn something new every day. Thanks, Wikipedia! Back to... I'm willing to bet Shocker had no idea who Humphrey was in the slightest, nor cared he shouts that he's going to ram the webhead's words down his throat. Spidey, on the opposite end of the room, calls BS, saying Shocker won't be able to do that unless he can punch clear across the room. But the Shocker doesn't need to be Mr. Fantastic. We get a close-up on his right hand in the final panel and watch as he pushes a button that says a joke he pushes a button clear across the room, flipping our hero upside down on the web he swung in on, the wall crumbling behind him as the new villain shouts that this is why they call him the Shocker. Spidey thinking the whole time. That's how the whole show. He's got some gadget on his fence. It causes violent vibrations. It must be how he opened the scene. Three opens to a stunning panel of Spidey landing with his full body weight on his right hand, left knee bent, right leg kicked out in front of him, crumbling wall behind him. Boy, I sure get the pick of the crown. Just mind luck to run into a joker strong enough to cause a brick wall to shake when he uses his power. Shocker, briefcase in hand, turns to make for the exit, shouting that if Spidey tries to stop him again, he won't go so easy, as Spidey thinks. He's cutting cutting out out with the money he stole. I've got to be be careful. careful. That vibration, more offense is like being kicked by a a king-sized mule. And speaking of kicks, kicks. and we got action. Namely, Spidey pushing off his right hand in the gutter between panels, landing back on that right hand, agility on, best ever, and ramming both feet into the Shocker's jaw, screaming. Now I don't get the feeling I'm mad at you. It's just that I hate anybody to skip around town in a jazzier costume than mine. (laughs) <laughs> Spidey thought it was a good costume too, I'm vindicated. He hit this man so hard, how hard did he? The briefcase popped open from the force, spilling bundles of money onto the floor, but the shocker can give as good as he gets. Both hands free in the next panel, he shows he's a bit of a pugilist, throwing a wicked right cross that catches our hero on his injured arm, shouting. All right, you, you act a fool, you fool. fool. See how you, you have like a the vibration shotgun. Shot so the guy's thinking this through. He's probably heard of the King of Swing, and every swing he throws, he's gonna make sure he throws a little extra sugar behind it. Sugar? That's what we call seismic force around here. You ain't know? No. Either way, the hits keep on coming as the Shocker follows the right with a wild left uppercut <laughs> that sends our hero's jaw north, the last position you wanna be in, in a fight. Still joining himself. I'm the one in my story, story. Well, and I ain't in the back of my inferior. I gave you a chance to escape well, no. You would've been wise to take it. it. The fire shock even on my fist make it. my blows a dozen times more potent than normal. <laughs> a dozen times! Stan, his obsession with 12, continues. On 4, we find Spidey on floor, back against the wall, massaging his skull. Oh, brother! That clown's as good as he says he is. And having a fight with a tanked up injured arm isn't exactly helping my chances any. Shocker pressing his advantage. Tells the webhead not to move so his killing blow won't miss. But what's play four of the golden liability playbook? Back against the wall, Spidey's gonna leap. And he does. He pushes from the floor and rams all 170 pounds of his wiry frame into the shocker's gut, head first, screaming. You can't say I didn't meet you halfway. Part of my head, shocker. Now that's, you can say it, using your head. And not done yet, Spidey follows this up with a right of his own, snapping the shocker's head back. But the hit isn't flush. Spidey realizing the Shocker got some kind of gadget that helps his whole body vibrate, weakening Spidey's blow. The kid may just be in trouble. But then, before Spidey can draw back his one good arm to launch another blow, the Shocker strikes again with a double vibro smash. A little more sugar. The whole time, the Shocker telegraphing his next move. No, no I mean, he's to my Not humble, that Shocker, is he? And with a double-fisted punch, he sends Spidey to the plastic wall behind him. This fight is over. Five opens to Spidey in a pitiful state. His knees hooked over the now-destroyed wall. His right arm above his head. His upper body laying in the rubble. Knocked out. As the shocker, briefcase back in hand, exits, stays left, monologuing the whole time about Spidey learning not to challenge his superiors. That his powers make him the most invincible human on earth, that no one can hurt him because he can vibrate. Nobody, not even the sadder but wiser Spider Man. Seconds later, Spidey regains consciousness, gripping his head, saying now he knows how a bell clapper feels. Get it? because his head's ringing. Realizing there's nothing to do here, he grabs his camera from the window he's left and webbed against and the shocker, nowhere in sight, crawls back through the window where he's come from. If he had a tail, I'd imagine it'd be between his legs. We watch him struggle to change it to his civvies using only one arm in the next panel, grabbing clothes from a web sack stuck to an alley wall, monologuing as only Peter Parker can. I guess things could have been worse. At least I'm lucky my arm wasn't hurt while I was acting like a part-time punching bag. Hmm, it's healing pretty well now. Rocking a golden rod jacket, SJB pants, brown shoes, and a white sling in the next panel, he walks down a main street saying he should still keep the arm from moving for a little bit longer so he can use it in his rematch against the Shocker. Still, worry creeps into Pete's mind. He says that the Shocker may be able to beat him with two hands, that whatever the new villain may be, he's not a pushover before pushing the idea from his head and focusing instead on the Donuts and Dimes accounts. Well, I'm gonna get to the Bugle and sell my pics to Jolly Jonah while there's still news. In the final panel, as Pete strolls along, none other than Harry, nose in the air Osborne, pulls up to the scene in a white caddy drop top. <coughs> starting like his daddy, to be sure. He stops next to Pete, asking the kid if he needs a ride. Pete says if the guy is heading towards the Bugle, then of course he does. Harry says he's glad to, saying he's got an offer for Pete. As the two drive along the street to open six, Harry fills Pete in on this offer. Namely, that his dad just got him an apartment with two, count them, two bedrooms. That if Pete wants, the two can share the apartment. That they'd have a ball. Pete says he'd love to, but he doesn't know if he could afford to rent right now. Harry, his privilege spilling all over the place, says Pete isn't listening correctly. That neither of them will be paying. Norman is handling the rent. He asks Pete again if he's game. Pete says he'd love to, but there's one thing he's got to do first. They pull up to 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown, limestone building. You can't miss it. And Pete explains. I've got to find out how Aunt May would take it. You know I'm the only relative she's got, and she's sort of dependent on me. Let me check it out with her first as soon as she gets back. And thanks a million, fella. Harry says sure, that he'll wait to hear word. Pete, moving towards the daily bugle, glances over his shoulder in thought. It's funny the way Harry and I have become real good friends without him ever suspecting who I really am. am or that I'm the one who saved his father when he was the Green Goblin a while back. Oh yeah, in case this is your first episode and you didn't know, Harry's father, Norman Osborn, is AKA the Green Goblin, one of, if not Spidey's greatest villains. That doesn't matter now though. Harry, waving goodbye to Pete, shouts see you later before adding that the next time Pete gets together with Mary Jane, he'll call Gwen and they can double date. Pete shouts, you know it, but turns towards the Daily Bugle his thoughts racing. He's, He's sure been seeing a, a lot, lot of Gwen lately. Now why, so why should that, that bother me? I've finally given her the time of day since MJ made the, the scene. Boy, sometimes point. I think the, the hardest thing in the world is for a fella to world world just world. know his own mind. Not even noticing the blue bow-tied, goldenrod fedora, cigarette-smoking, dapper Dan mustache, Frederick Foswell, who says hello, before going straight into a dastardly in a monologue as Pete continues into the building. He didn't, he didn't hear me. me. Perhaps it's just, just as well. well. This is my chance to do something I've been wanting to do. I've always, always wondered how he manages to get so many exclusive photos of Spider-Man of in action. I'm, I'm positive there's some so connection, connection between Parker and that and Wiley Web slinger, and this, this is my chance to disguise myself as Patch once more and tell him until I learn his secret. Something tell tells tell me there'll be a great, great story, story in it if my suspicions are correct. I want to knock Foswell for his obsession with finding out more about Pete, but I won't, because to be fair, Foswell is a reporter, and curiosity is how he turns his donuts into dimes. And all he's really done is be a creepy weasel. Only in thought so far. Either way, in the final panel, we see Pete's made it up the elevator and into the Daily Bugle offices where he finds JJJ in a white shirt and purple tie. Jonah, feeling hood today, is smoking a black and mild when Pete walks up. Pete asks Jonah if he can see him. Jonah, dodgy as ever, says he's busy until Pete points out that he's got some new pics to sell. Jonas says it's about damn time. On 7, he snatches the pictures from Pete and is nearly foaming at the mouth as he pours over them. Pete points out that this new villain, the Shocker, hasn't been photographed anywhere else. J.J. replies, He looks like a nut. That's what he Shirts says. on newspapers. That's I think not. So some bread? J.J., as miserable as he's ever been, tells Pete that if the kid's hungry, he should go downstairs to commissary. I was referring to scratch, long green, folding stuff, money to you. JJ, as his fees built a stellar reputation for being fair in his negotiations, asks if Pete doesn't trust him. When Pete says a question like that can ruin relationships, JJ starts tirading. Slamming his fist on a desk, he shouts, All right, you young Shylock, I'll have Betty Brent get you a check. Miss Brent, where in blazes is that girl? Pete's like Crimea River. Later. Right now, you pay. So JJ does. Walking a kid back to his office, he takes a seat and cuts Pete a check grabbing the receiver of his phone to call down to the press room. He wants him to stop the presses, of course, because he's going to squeeze these pics into the paper, probably with the headline, Spider-Man Menace on top. But turns out it's coffee break time in the press room as well, causing him to shout that he should get out of the news business and into raising coffee beans. Pete, unbothered by JJ's tantrum, turns to leave, all smiles. Thanks for the doom, Mr. Jameson. Keep smiling, sweetie. He gets outside, thinking he's got to meet Aunt May at the train station because she gets back in a few minutes, oblivious to Patch, frederick foswell's stoolie alter ego watching him from around the corner i changed about just in time parker's leaving now if i can stay with you long enough he's got to leave me to spider-man sooner or later it's impossible for anyone to always be on the spot to snap photos whenever that wall is around unless they're working together and if they are i'm bound to get the evidence if i don't do sight of parker but peter parker's time may be running out faster than he suspects for at that moment in another part of town. We're back with the seismic shocker as he trudges towards a secret base through what looks like an abandoned sewer tunnel entrance. Why not? Briefcase filled with money in hand, still talking to us and no one. Everything went perfectly. Nobody thinks nothing here and all the in the good. Good. And if that, that mental Spider-Man butts in again, I'll finish it for good next time. time. In fact, it might be a good idea to destroy him, just, just to show the world how powerful man. I am. Gotta tell you, shocker, many men Many, 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 many men have tried. I wish you luck with that, but never gonna go against the home team. We turn the page and we're on the infinity, the infinity, infinity, infinity page. page. Page 8. Just in time to witness shocker enter a makeshift laboratory filled with all sorts of electronic gear and what looks like a miniature version of Doctor Doom's Globe from Amazing Spider-Man number five. Shocker probably got it off the 616 Black Market, same place chameleon gets his mask. Who knows? And he's screaming that it's time to check the results of his hard day's work. He pops a briefcase open in the next panel, and we find out he's made, quote, he's hundred hundreds. Of He says this is what he dreamed of in the old days. Man said, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds. This has got to be the smallest hole by a new big bad. He's establishing himself as the perfect working class villain. But wait, did he say he always dreamed of this in the old days? Does that mean we get a villain origin We story? get a villain origin story! I don't remember how it was before I came on 5 Burning Power. I was just a two-bit safe cracker, cracker bumbling, And we see the shocker, real name still unknown, on one knee in an olive suit, maroon flat cap, and brown loafers, his left hand pressed against the safe his right turning the vault's knob. At his feet, an open doctor's bag filled with safe-cracking equipment. Looking over his shoulder, he says he's a two-time loser and he can't afford to get caught again. A moment before Joe and Tomas bust into the room, flashlights and guns drawn. Drawn to the scene by the nitro the Shocker used. He blew the doors off this safe, to be sure. The Shocker realizes he doesn't have a chance to escape, and he knows it. He surrenders, and he's carted off to prison where we find him cross-legged in a cell, red pen in his right hand, a stack of papers in his left. they in a prison workshop, but I only on my mind, In the cell, he thinks that if he ever gets out, he'll do things different. Not stop being a criminal, of course, but instead, he's going to design tools that ensure he's never caught again. Tools that allow him to crack open a safe silently and in seconds. But while working on my tools, tools a one in a million inspiration hit me. We see Shocker at a workbench next, soldering iron in hand, as he thinks it'd be better to create a device that shakes a safe door loose instead. If only he can learn to control the vibrations, that he's lucky no one knows what he's really working on. Then, months later, my, my device was ready. In the dead night, when my, my chest, chest were the greatest, I used it against the brick wall, leaving the freedom. freedom. We see Shocker still in prison greens using his new device, blowing a hole in the prison wall. Question. Why would the prison allow him to work in its workshop unsupervised in the dead of night? Answer is simple. It's comic books. Let it go, and come on. It wait. It, it worked better than I could have The wall was shattered within seconds, seconds, but I was, I was almost seated seated too bad, and we could run through it. it. In the final panel, the Shocker struggles from beneath the rubble and out of the prison as I imagine the guards sleep soundly in their beds. Nine opens to. And work on it, I did. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, until and finally, just a short time ago. We see the Shocker, a white button up on now, working on his stylish brown and goldenrod suit as the costume's boots and silver belt sit next to it. We learn now how the Shocker was able to take Spidey's blows as he screams. It's finished. The foam 9 fabric and heavy boots will absorb any future shocks. Adding, well, my belt will contain a lifetime battery for a permanent power pack. The cover date of this comic is March of 1967. The ability to create seismic shocks aside, the shocker has just created a portable battery that if patented and sold could be worth millions to him. Instead... He wants to crack open safes. Move <laughs> over Lincoln, you know, old vulture. We've got another tale of a villain hustling backwards. But at least they always do it with style, because a moment later, we get a close-up of the Shocker's right gauntlet. It extends up his forearm and wraps around his fingers with a small trigger he can press when he balls a fist with his thumb, as his monologue continues. By locating okay, my private within my middle knuckle, knuckle plates and making it, it thumb operated I knew I had made myself unbeatable. unbeatable. And of course, all this completed, he stands in an action pose. His left hand held forward, facing us. His right pulled back, both with their fingers on the triggers, suited and booted. As he shouts, "From this day on, the shotgun has proven himself supreme. No one can stop me." As far as origin stories go, <laughs> not the worst. It's definitely not the worst. Meanwhile, at the newly constructed Penn Station. Mrs. May Parker waits for her beloved nephew. May, her hair in a tight bun at the base of her head, wears a green sequin jacket, maroon hat, and a hand to her chin. She's wearing a worried look on her face as well as she wonders aloud how she's going to break the news to Pete, who comes strolling up through the bustling crowd a second later, shouting her name. May turns, says hello, spots Pete's arm in a sling, and I imagine damn near faints as she asks what happened. Pete, smiling, replies, Nothing on me, just a little spring. It'll be okay in a day or so. Say you look wonderful. The rest must have been good for you. She throws her arms around her nephew's neck in the final panel. She says she had a wonderful time, but she's got something she wants to tell him. Pete asks her to hold on because he has something he wants to tell her. But when he spots tears in her eyes, drops what he has to say, asking instead, what's wrong? Mae says nothing, except she's worried about him. So what else is new? Still. Pete asks, why is she worried? Tin opens to Pete, May's briefcase in hand, escorting May through Penn Station as she explains. Such a gentleman. May says she knows the kids dependent on her, but Mrs. Watson asks her to move in together since Mary Jane moved away. She says that she'd love to do it, but she doesn't want to leave Pete alone. Pete, lost in his own thoughts about moving out, is snapped out of his trance when hearing this. When May says she doesn't want Pete to be upset, Pete grabs both her hands in his and replies all smiles. Upset me? Mrs. May Parker, it's time you thought of yourself for a change. Staying with your friend Mrs. Watson would be just what you need. You'd have company, and someone who'd always be there to look after you when you need it most. May, of course, asked what Pete's going to do, and he's got an answer for that, too. I'm not a child anymore, Aunt May. It's time I was getting out on my own. I'll share an apartment with Harry Osborne, one of my classmates, and that means you can sell the house and have enough money to live comfortably for the next few years. May, a small smile on her face, says she's glad he's taking this in stride. Thus, a short-time later. Pete and May have reached their Forest Hills neighborhood where they find Anna Watson in a powder blue cashmere sweater, shirt, and skirt, and the incomparable Mary Jane Watson in a white leather jacket, tight purple shirt, and a fire purple and orange skirt. Both women are on their porch, style flaring. Anna tells May to come in and tell her all about her trip as May and Pete drop the news that May will be moving in with the lady. As the two women talk, Pete pulls MJ away down the porch and out of earshot. He asks, As for you, young lady. What's me skip over to the Silver Spoon to celebrate? If you recall, the Silver Spoon is the gang's new hangout spot. And my boy wants his time. MJ always down to chill replies, Celebrations are my favorite people, dad. Let's cut out. In no time at all in the space between panels, the two have made it to the Silver Spoon where they meet up with Flash, fashion on Trash Thompson, and Harry nose in the air Osborne. Flash, of course, throws a shot asking where MJ picked up the son of Frankenstein. MJ, a quipper in her own right, says, "Bella Lugosi rented him to me, but don't get him robbed till after he's paid for my soda here." For a spotlight on the king of the monsters, Bella Lugosi, you've got to go back and check out season two's 13th episode, Just a Guy Named Joe, or The Tale of the Befuddled Bruiser, the most comic-y comic book of all. The GOAT, Steve Ditko's final episode on ASM for the record. Back to! MJ asks what the guys are up to, and Harry says they're about to spin a few platters. Translation? Eat. Flash tells her not to worry. The straws are on him. The two enter the restaurant and walk past the heartthrob Gwen Stacy crushing the game in a red and black Harley Quinn-designed mod shirt with matching red skirt. Harley Quinn got a style from Gwen. I can't be deconvinced. Pete does a double take, I'm sure. His eyes falling on Gwen, he thinks, It's Gwen. I didn't recognize her at first. Look at her going. But why am I so surprised? I never figured her for the wallflower type. MJ, spotting Gwen living her best life, says, Hmm, Gwen's not bad, Dad. Not good, maybe. But not bad. MJ's, you can say it, a hater hater. In the final panel, the man with the trashy fashion joins Gwen on the dance floor as Harry, Pete, and MJ talk in the foreground. MJ leading with her arms on Pete's shoulders. It's a great, natural pose. I love it. JRSR working. <laughs> Harry tells the two that Flash's farewell party is going down right here at the Silver Spoon as soon as the kid gets his induction date. That they want it to be a big deal because Flash is the first person out of their crew to be drafted. Pete says they've got to make it a good one for Flash. MJ, horn dog that she is, says there's something about a man in uniform. Mm-hmm, mm, somebody. Get the fire hose. As Pete thinks, I wonder how random a Spidey costume would grab it. 11 opens to random blonde male character number one entering the restaurant, a daily bugle in hand, shouting at ESU's in crowd. Hey, gang, did you see the bugles extra? Some nut named that a made a monkey out of Spider-Man. Flash, Spidey's greatest booster, calls BS immediately. He says that'll be the day when random blonde male character says there are pictures in all. Flash says the pics are fake or Spidey wasn't trying, because if he was, he wouldn't lose. <laughs> with friends like these, who needs anemones? you get it or you don't. Anyway, as Pete watches MJ trying to steal the spotlight from Gwen, he thinks, as he often does, that if Flash ever found out he, Peter Parker, the bookworm extraordinaire with Spider-Man, Flash would probably lose his mind, before asking MJ if she wants to split a two-scooper with him, which I assume is like an ice cream sundae or something. But MJ declines, she says she can't be expected to leave while the jukebox is jumping, and since you can't shake up a storm with your wing in a sling, I'll take a rain check till the coins run out. Pete itching for a rematch with the shocker, takes it on the chin, saying he'll see her later. He turns to leave, but before he goes, lets an ecstatic Harry know that the two are going to be roommates soon, before Gwen pulls Harry away to dance. Back out on the street, the smile Pete's been wearing the entire time surrounded by friends is gone. Kind of a drastic switch in mood, but one I can definitely relate to. Being on around people is kind of necessary, and a lot in the civilization we've built and been thrust into, and Pete's proven himself to be a little bit more than a neurotic, and more than a little bit of a loner. No doubt he loves his friends, but I can't help but think he's always a little relieved when it's over. You're pontificating. Back to Pete's thinking. And that's, that's that. that. Boy, really? Gwen never it's looked never more, gorgeous, more gorgeous, but, but she sure didn't sure knock herself out falling all over me. me. What's, wrong What's wrong with me anyway? anyway with a bombshell so like MJ, MJ in the picture, I'm, I'm still, still not satisfied. satisfied. It's just that it's there's, there's something so about Gwen that, that sinks, sinks me. Or is it because she's more hard to get? No. Next day I'll be running Wigley Abbey. Abby. Nice! this is Spidey and do some web swinging. The kid is, again, struggling with good problems. And a bad one on his tail, as we see the stoolie patch, cigarette in his lips, eye patch on, well, his eye, that's why they call him Patch, tailing Pete into an alleyway, a slight smile on his lips, as he thinks, hmm, Parker looks like he's out for more than just an evening stroll. I've hunch Patch is about to learn his connection with Spider-Man at last. Why is he calling himself Patch in his mind? Why didn't he just say, I'm going to learn the connection with Spider-Man? This guy's a loony, and then, Exactly 60 silent seconds later. Spidey, suited and booted, seated on the sheer wall of the alley, has his Spidey sense activate. Patch wonders what happened to Peter Parker. Spidey realizes someone's watching him. Uh Uh-oh, my Spidey sense is tingling like mad. Someone's watching. It's Patch, the stool pigeon. If he saw me once in here as Peter Parker, and sees me now as Spidey, he won't have to be an Einstein to dig my secret. I gotta think of something, but fast. And Foswell? Foswell, you're you're a a fat-headed, feeble-minded fool. Here I've been wondering where Parker Parker went went to, and the answer's been staring me in the face all the the time. time. I should have guessed it. it. He didn't didn't go anywhere. anywhere. Parker Parker is is Spider-Man, and I'm the only one who knows it. He's just figured out Blue's clues. But then, the startled Patch suddenly hears. As Patch stares at the alley corner, we get a whole conversation unfolding on the other side between two people we don't see. Hi, Spidey. No wonder I couldn't find you. Hiding up in the shadows like that. (laughs) Parker. I told you to meet me here because I'm going after the shocker in the Get your camera loaded and wait for the call. Got it? You can count on me, Spidey. Patch, baffled, thinks. Two, Two voices. One, Parker. Parker. And the other, the other? Other, Spider-Man. Then, I was, I was wrong. wrong. But hold on. Patch has had conversations with Spider-Man multiple times. Conversations with Peter multiple times. And I was never under the impression Spidey hit his voice. So I got a call, bullshit. Fine. I'm letting go. I'm coming on. On twelve. Spider-Pete throws his voice, continuing to throw Patch off his trail. Lucky for him, he thinks, that he can achieve all this simply by raising and lowering his mask. He could zoom tights into his civvies in a space between panels, thinking, Now, now for a quick change, change while I keep, keep talking. talking. Good, Good old spider Spine. I couldn't do, do this do without it. it. Before his plan gets even deeper, in the next panel, he attaches web lines to his Spidey costume's mask and waist, making it stand on its own and continuing his conversation with no one. You didn't tell me where you're going, oh. Spidey. Pete first pulled this trick in The Amazing Spider-Man number 25. Captured by J. Jonah Jameson. Or The Kvorka Chronicles. Season 1's finale here on Me and My Friend Pete. Peter Parker, puppeteer, returns. Technically, I'm a marionette. Shut it, you. In the next panel, he's managed to get both arms of the costume in position like they're holding the web line above their head and pushes the puppet away from the wall, <laughs> shouting, Nuts! That's he's only he swinging on for without answering. Nuts. Before thinking, well, that's, that's it. it. I'm not Brando, but I hope I acted good enough to fool my one-man audience. And Brando? Quoted from Wikipedia. Marlon Brando Jr., April 3rd, 1924 to July 1st, 2004, was an American actor and activist. Widely considered one of the greatest actors of the 20th century, he received numerous accolades throughout his career, which spanned six decades, including two Academy Awards, two Golden Globe Awards, one Cannes Films Festival Award, and three British Academy Film Awards. Brando is credited with being one of the first actors to bring the Stanislavski system of acting and method acting to mainstream audiences. Brando was so good for so long, it'd take a whole other podcast to describe his career. But my favorite Brando movie is On the Waterfront, where he plays a boxer who threw a fight, lost his career, but found redemption by being the guy who not only put himself between the people in the danger, but also got the people to stand up to the danger themselves. I've seen him in gangster movies, I've seen him in cowboy flicks, I've seen him in toxic bad romances, I've seen him in action movies, I've seen him in a Superman movie. The only thing I've never seen is a bad Brando performance. His controversial personal life and actions on being both a stalwart activist for communities of color, Native Americans, homosexuality, the poor, the unhoused and soon to be unhoused, children's rights, the rights of developing countries, and vilified, hated and envied by co-stars, castmates and production crews as a spoiled brat of a man. Nobody is one thing, though. And all said and done, I think he's a great example of using your power and platform to shine light on real issues happening in the world, despite your personal successes. Thanks, Wikipedia. Back to Patch. Dumbstruck, falls deep into his thoughts. I almost made a kick-sized yeah, jackass out of myself. myself. How could I have, could have thought a thought teenage nobody like Parker could, could actually be Spider-Man? Man. Well, well anyway, anyway, I found out how the how kid gets get those get exclusive photos. photos. He's, got he's got a deal kill kill him with him. Spider-Man. The masked man tips him off when he's going, going into action, and then, and then Parker splits the action. money he gets, he gets for the pics with Spider. Spider. It still, still doesn't does sound kosher, though. you think, think a, guy a guy like Spider-Man can make all the dough he wants. He but why fight him? I, I saw him, him and heard him with my I own ears. ears. Pete watches Patch exit the alley, whistles a sigh of relief, thinking that was too close. But now that showtime's over, he suited and booted in no time in the final panel, atop a roof, gripping his left wrist, shouting, I've about had it with that blame sling. My arm's still a little sore, but what the heck?" Who ever heard of a swinging superhero babying himself? The kid's ready to swing off into the night, and I'm sure there's only one thing on his mind. They get up! 13 opens to the hero clinging to a sheer wall, wondering how he's gonna find the shocker, before he notices a police officer heading to a call box beneath him. For all the youngins listening, call boxes used to be everywhere, and were a way for cops to communicate out on the beat with one another before handheld walkie-talkies and increased radio transmission. Some still exist in NYC, but they are increasingly rare. This is 1967, though. They're everywhere. And Spidey just sends a web line behind the officer to see what's happening. And what's happening? That's right, Sarge. I got a report of chimneys near the Federal Reserve Bank. Better seal off the sector. It might be the shocker. Call shocker what you want, but don't call him the guy afraid of the big heist. Spidey's on the move, leaping over a chimney in the next panel, his right fist punching the air for no reason, screaming. Boy, if it had happened that easy in a movie, I'd say it was too phony. But for once, it'd be a pleasure not to waste half the night searching. The Federal Reserve is only a few blocks from here. He reaches the Federal Reserve, that's 33 Liberty Street, so you know we're in the financial district, and lands on the sheer wall of the building a split second before the whole building begins shaking, hanging on for dear life, Spidey shouts. Okay, Shocker, round two, coming up. Before entering into the bank and final panel through destroyed bay doors onto a balcony, making sure he announces himself to the Shocker, who's standing on a lower level. Thanks for leaving a home for me to enter through, pal. Shocker shouts. Oh, spider me who is Spider-Man? Who? Spider-Man! You were expecting maybe the man from Uncle? For a spotlight on the man from Uncle, check out season 2's 12th episode, Clinging and Swinging and Banging, here on Me and My Friend Pete. Back to Do We Got we Action? We Got Action. Shocker lets his fist do the talking to Open 14, sending shockwaves. Excuse me, vibro shock waves up towards our hero, obliterating the balcony and causing the pillars holding it up to collapse into giant concrete cylinders, causing Spidey to fall headfirst towards the marble floor of the Federal Reserve. But plumbing towards his demise is old hat for our hero, who, thinking off his feet, creates a web cushion to land on, breaking his fall. Shocker closes the gap between them, meeting Spidey through the smoke and falling debris in the next panel, shouting how he's going to make sure Spidey doesn't interfere with him ever again. Too much talking though, not enough double tapping because Spidey, reflexes on best ever, kicks one of the columns towards the Shocker in the final panel, putting the pillar between himself and the danger, the Shocker shouting the whole time that he can handle one measly slab of concrete. And he does, obliterating the slab with a blast from both hands to open 15, causing Spidey, still on his bum to quip, sing. I bet you'd be a scream at a party, with a lampshade on your head, before leaping towards the villain with both fists outstretched. But I've got a couple of tricks of my own. Just stand there, sweetie, and I'll show you. Shocker admits Spidey is faster than he thought, but assures the webhead that he isn't moving, before clubbing our hero across the chest and jaw the (laughs) next panel, saying if the hero forgot that his powers make his punches stronger, he's happy to refresh Spidey's memory. Spidey eats those, though, and in the final panel, both hands braced on the floor beneath him. His body crouches low in Russian squat dance maneuver one. He hooks his right foot around the shocker's left and kicks the villain square across the jaw. <laughs> shouting. I'm not really used to playing the underdog, but give me time, son. I'll get the hang of it. Here's a little that may amuse you. Try falling backwards while I've got my leg pressing against the back of your knee. Translation? Telegraph for Mr. Shocker. Spidey presses the attack. Hopping from the floor over the Shocker's head in the space between pages. And 16 opens to our hero, locking his fingers behind Shocker's neck in a full-on, full Nelson. Shouting that this will make the Shocker change his ways. But the Shocker won't just be hemmed up. The Don't w- say I did you, Spider-Man! He vibrates so hard the Marvel floor beneath their feet begins to crack. Spidey's grip loosens, and Shocker takes advantage, picking the hero up and hurling him down an escalator bank, screaming. To me, you're nothing you're more than a Something to be dealt with quickly and of before you can come to head. Head. Now pull off somewhere and your wounds. I've still, still got a to It's to note, nowhere does it say that his costume gives him super strength, and Spidey usually comes in at 170 pounds. This dude picked Spidey up over his head and tossed him down this escalator bank. I think it's safe to say Shocker Shocker's not new to overhead press. What are you talking about? It's called color commentary. Sue me, back to Spidey and Free Fall Quips. I wish you hadn't said that. It makes me feel like one of those ailments they're always curing with aspirin on TV commercials before thinking, spider Skill, if I ever needed you before, don't, don't fail me now. now. And it doesn't. Agility on. 10 out of 10. He lands in a wobbly handstand, still trying to figure out ways to take down the shocker, who at the top of the stairs witnesses the best agility this side of anything and lets loose with his gauntlets again, obliterating the spot Spidey's just moving away from. And the hero has bounced off the ground into his Birkin, shouting. If you keep that up, shocker, I'm liable to develop an insecurity complex. And considering what head drinkers cost nowadays, we can't let that happen, can we? I imagine the Shocker's thoroughly pissed at this point because he throws caution to the wind to open 17 and hurls his body down the stairs, both fists out in front of him. I'm through playing He's where I'll myself of you forever. forever. But what's the cardinal rule of Eminem FP? Don't talk crap until you- DON'T win. TALK CRAP UNTIL YOU WIN! Because as the Shocker, no ability to fly whatsoever listed anywhere comes soaring past. Our hero, in one fluid motion, flips upside down, <laughs> clinging to the ceiling with his feet, and crouches down, shouts, Slow down, Tiger. I'm not going anywhere, but you are, before throwing a right fist that connects with the shocker's side as the man bumbles past through the air. But you gotta respect the shocker's understanding of his abilities because he makes his whole body vibrate again, taking force from a blow that I'm sure would have crushed at least three ribs if he didn't have this power. But there's nothing accounting for gravity. Ah! We turn the pace to find the Shocker climbing to his feet on 18 having just smashed into a corner desk and concrete wall as Spidey slips back down to the floor. The Shocker has snapped. well, The is FOR THE LAST TIME! Both thumbs raised, he breaks the cardinal rule of the villain playbook. What's the... You know the Ozymandias rule. Don't monologue until a bomb has gone off 30 minutes ago. Spidey, oblivious to how the shocker's powers work until this very moment, carpes the diem and fires blast of webbing from both shooters towards the shocker. Does Spidey get the hit? Of course he gets the hit. And what was he aiming at? Your shocker gizmos won't work if your thumbs can't touch those crazy control buttons. Right. Spidey webs this man's thumbs with thin but strong strands to his biceps. In this hour panel, panel of oh. the week, the shocker staring down at his hands and trying to flex his thumbs. I'm sure shouts my thumbs! I can't move. And Spidey's on him. He closes the distance in the space between panels and hits this man with a downward right cross that snaps the shocker's head back and jaw north, talking his smack. That's the whole idea, mister. And it means you can't cushion this little love tap, can you? (laughs) Don't bother to answer. This fight is over. In the final panel, Spidey kneels down next to the unconscious villain of the week and slips the gauntlets from the man's hands, still talking smack to the sleeping villain. You know how petty you gotta be to smack talk someone who can't hear you? As petty as a one King of Swing from Forest Hills Queens. I love this scene because it makes me think of the scene in Rush Hour when Carter says, Wipe yourself off, man." You did! A few seconds later. 19 opens to Spider-Man retrieving his camera from a webbing strand, one knee raised, ready to leap from a rooftop, looking over his shoulder at the shocker, unconscious in a webbing sack, suspended from who knows where, still talking smack to an unconscious person. Thanks for the picture, Shockey. Now you'll be nice and comfy there until the police arrive, won't you? Smile, darn it. That webbing's more expensive than you think. We find our hero swinging high above the city in the next panel, monologuing about how the Shocker without his gauntlets is little more than another cheap hood. He goes on to shout to no one that it's nice to have things go well for a change, that he's got his picks, he's got his villain, and his arm is as good as new. It's Mwailville! Not only is Spidey delighted with the way things worked out, but even Stan and John are relieved for once, and we've a hunts that you don't mind for yourself. Right, tiger? Anyway, the next morning heralds the dawn of a new day, and of a brand new chapter in the life of our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I don't mind at all. In the next panel, we see the Prince of Forest Hills waking up in his bedroom. Silk pajamas on. Smiles on. Excitement on. Monologue full throttle. I woke even before the alarm went off. In fact, I've been waking up all night. I'm just too excited to sleep. Today's the day I pack my gear and move in with Harry. My own padded last. Gosh, I can hardly believe it. He's packed all of his gear in the gutter between panels and descends the stairs of his forest hills home in the next. A suitcase in each hand, a smile on his lips, as he asks his Aunt May, Aunt May, is there anything I can do for you before I move? But he doesn't see the tears welling in her eyes, about to fall down her cheeks. She says she doesn't need anything, that Anna will drive her over to her new home. But someone correct me if I'm wrong. Sure, I'll figure it out as I keep reading through this age, but I thought Anna and May were neighbors. Anna's gonna drive her next door? Either way, Pete's thinking this is hard, but for the best that Anna and May is a good fit. The two will keep each other company. He puts his bags down and lifts his aunt's chin, looking into the woman who's as close to a mother as he's ever known's eyes in the final panel as Anna steps into the background, a handkerchief to her eyes. Now look then, lady. I don't want to see my best gal with tears in her eyes. And May starts pouring it on. Peter, dear, promise me you'll phone whenever you can and come to visit when you have time and take good care of yourself. Be sure to get enough sleep and eat plenty of nourishing food. You know how fragile you are remember to wear your sweater when it's chilly and don't get your feet wet and be careful whom you choose for friends i don't ever want my peter to associate with rough necks pete listens patiently then after telling may to stay pretty avoid touch football and karate he grabs his bags and then finally on 20 in the foreground of the panel anna hugs may rubbing her shoulders telling the woman that she felt the same way when mary jane moved out that this is why she's so happy may is moving in with her may A complete wreck in the moment, just wishes Pete's all right on his own. After all, he's all the family she has. And Pete, a suitcase in each hand, walks out the front door for his last time as the Prince of Forest Hills, his thoughts saccharine. I never knew my mother mother, that she she couldn't have been been sweeter, sweeter, or gentle, gentle, or more more wonderful wonderful than Aunt 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 May. The way she always worried about every little thing. thing. That's why I could never, never never let her learn the truth about about Spider-Man. He hops on his motorbike in a space between panels and heads towards the city thinking the woman worried about everything. A short time leader in a pleasant apartment building, just a stone's throw away from campus. Harry opens the door to a fully furnished bachelor pad. We've got a mod style cabinet slash counter in the back, orange on orange with diamond shaped doors, some shrubbery in the corner, some shrubbery on that cabinet counter. We've got one of those standing lamps where there are lights jutting out of different directions you can adjust. We've got a glass coffee table with an ashtray on it because Harry be blowing it down and a divan sofa that really just looks like a futon with three pillows on it. It's a decent living room for two late teenagers, and Harry knows it. He welcomes Pete to the apartment, remarking that it isn't the Taj Mahal, but remember, they ain't paying rent. Pete loves it. He says, You mean, on this is ours? It's on a site, Harry. Huh? And in living color, too. Before the two can have a real conversation, however, Harry tells Pete to make himself at home, that he's got someplace to be, and gets ghosts. But... For long, lonely seconds after the door has closed behind the ebullient Harry, Peter Parker stands motionless, silently cloaked in his own somber thoughts. In the middle of the living room, spider symbol on at the bottom of his feet, both hands in his pockets, head down, Pete lets out all his woes to his new home's shadows, but surprisingly, only in his thoughts. I should should be be clicking my heels and doing cartwheels right now. I've finally gotten what I I wanted. wanted. I'm I'm on my own, own. at last, sharing a pad with the pal. So why this letdown feeling? Why this mood of depression that I can't seem to shake? Is it just a natural feeling of homesickness? Or is it something deeper? On that fateful day, when I became Spider-Man, perhaps more than a physical change was wrong. Perhaps, in some strange, mysterious way, when I gained another identity, I lost the capacity for happiness. Drama King! But you gotta know, Pete, happiness is only a moment before you need more happiness. I think it's safe to say at this point the kid suffers from a nice steady bout of depression every now and again, and leaving his childhood home, the one place on earth where happiness was a continuous moment for so long, has him feeling the blues. C'est la vie, Pete, la vie. A final panel caption box closes the issue. Next, more powerful, more dangerous, more deadly than ever, the return of Craven the Hunter. And we're out! Things are happening. Pete and Art May are out on their own. Flash is about to head off to Vietnam. Gwen Stacy and MJ jockeying for position in Pete's mind. Neither one really caring if he wants them or not. And Pete's mind, as it often does, is racing towards depression. Oh, and we've got a new villain. The Shocker joins the Spider Rogues gallery as a straight up jobber. I think it was a great way to show the guy wouldn't be the most serious of threats by having Spidey take him on with one arm from the start. If you've been keeping tallies, Spidey usually loses the first fight with a new villain before figuring out how to get them done in the rematch. If the kid was able to make it through with one arm, it's safe to say Shocker won't ever pose a real threat to Spidey in a one-on-one going forward. If we're ranking him as far as where he sits right now, Spidey took him with one arm. I'd say C plus to be sure. I enjoyed the fight scene in this one very much, JRSR was working as he often did. I like the emotions pouring out of both May and Pete at the end of this one. Their bond really is such a huge part of what makes our friend who he is. He'll love to see it. And what do we see next episode? Marvel's apex predator of the deadliest game, Craven the Hunter. And man, if you haven't played Spider-Man 2, you are missing out on an incredible, incredible, incredible iteration of the Hunter. Me? I ended the game on the hardest difficulty. I'm not saying I'm Spider-Man. I am saying you've never seen he and I in the same room together. I'm... Right now. Shut it, you! Join us next time for The Amazing Spider-Man number 47, In the Hands of the Hunter. That's the main episode this week, and that's true. That's the main episode, but there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you sign up to Patreon.com HSPP in the Keykeeper or High Council tiers, patrons have a vault filled with bonus episodes covering comic book stories from all over the multiverse of comic book universes. Next bonus episode, we're in the DC Universe circa, well, all over the place because we're time hopping with the hero of tomorrow, today, Booster Gold, in Booster Gold Volume 2, number 6, 52 Pickup, meet the Beatles. Question, how far would you go to save the life of your best friend? Probably not as far as the hero of tomorrow. This is what happens when the superhero laughing stop stops playing nice and starts getting real. If you become a patron before ASM number 50, you receive a thank you gift from me and my friend Pete for being a patron during season two. Let's keep these good times rolling. You won't regret it. You got questions? Send them to me and my friend Pete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Follow us on Instagram at underscore podcast and the panel of the week can be found at patreon.com slash HSPP. Thank you so much to all our patrons. We couldn't do it without you and we wouldn't want to if we could. All that said, that's all that said. Please like, please comment, please share, please think think of the world and be true to yourself. That dusty trails are calling so there's no use stalling and you know the tagline for the people of great power. Come on, you know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. Happy New Year. I'm out of here.